As Pastor Sarah mentioned last week, the prophet, in, in our case today, Amos, has two main jobs according to Old Testament, Old Testament professor Walter Brueggemann. The first is to be a critique, a critic of the dominant thought and structures, and in doing that critique, announce God's destruction of whatever is oppressive or unjust. The second task of the prophet is to use a prophetic imagination to energize and announce the good news of God's justice and and new creation. That would be the building up after tearing down. Amos, the prophet Amos, is doing a great job at the tearing down part. We've been with Amos for two weeks now, and it's just been a joy to hear what he has to say. Amos really doesn't want anything to do with the reimagining part or a a hopeful future. If you weren't here last Sunday and you're wondering who this prophet Amos is, or maybe you skipped Sunday school the week that was covered, um, Amos was an unlikely mouthpiece for the Lord. But isn't that how God operates? Moses, terrible speaker. David, a very flawed human, all-around human being, not the greatest person. The first disciples called by Jesus were uneducated. One of them was a cheating tax collector, and another would betray him, turning him over to the authorities to be arrested. His most, one of his most trusted disciples, Peter, the rock upon which the church would later be built, would deny him three times. The person chose by God to spread the good news to the Gentiles, those outside the original Abrahamic covenant, the Apostle Paul, was one time, at one time, the lead persecutor of the church. God is in the business of calling the unlikely and equipping them for seemingly impossible tasks. Amos was not a descendant from the priestly class. His father was not a priest. His father's father was not a prophet. Amos was a herdsman. He took care of animals in the field. He was an outsider to the royal court, hailing from the southern kingdom of Judah. And Amos finds himself today in the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom that was experiencing national security, material wealth and prosperity. Israel's enemies were at bay, and the nation found itself comfortable. Security and wealth for a few at the expense of the many. The vision laid before Amos in verse 1 of our reading appears to be great. First of the season fruit? Who doesn't love summer fruit? We love first-of-the-season fruit in our house. We had a first-of-the-season watermelon just a few weeks ago and ate that bad boy in less than a day. There's nothing on the surface to suggest there's anything wrong with the fruit that is before Amos. But when the Lord said, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again forgive forgive them. The tone of the conversation changes entirely. But this is the trajectory Amos and the Lord have been on since chapter 1. 
And since we rarely visit the words of this minor prophet, it can be easy to miss the buildup, the crescendo that the Lord and Amos have been working toward. Amos declared that the superficial religion of many, their Sunday morning best while not caring for the poor, going so far as to make a profit off the backs of the poor, getting richer while making the poor poor, that was about to end resulting in their destruction. While it may not seem likely, the sending of Amos by God to the northern kingdom was an act of compassion and grace by God. God was all out of patience, and the summer fruit represents Israel's end, end of oppression to the poor, looking delicious and inviting on the surface, but rotting from the inside out. Their temple praise Their Sunday morning songs would turn to wailing and sadness. Readings like Amos 8 make us, or at least me, uncomfortable. Because we don't like to think of God uh, being anything but patient and loving and kind, full of grace and slow to anger. A critique of me as a preacher would be that I lean too much on the grace of God at the expense of of holiness. I don't like their critique, but it seems like it could be a fair one. The problem Israel faced is similar to one we wrestle with daily. Trampling on or taking advantage of the poor instead of being with the people God has sent us to be with. Instead of being the people God has sent us to be. Being patient, loving, kind, full of grace, and slow to anger. But Amos reveals that when we fail in our care for the poor, when we fail to treat the marginalized with dignity, respect, and care, or when we neglect those who cannot care for themselves, the Lord, the One who has called you and me to be bearers of God's amazing grace, that God when we fail to be bearers of God's grace, becomes angry, disappointed, and will set things right, with or without us. Throughout the pandemic, we have heard and used the phrase, we are all in this together. It was a catchy song in High School Musical, and it made for a great soundbite for politicians who needed something, anything to say, when the microphones were in front of their faces. On the surface, the phrase sounds great. But like the summer fruit placed before Amos, there is more under the surface. As we debate, or argue, depending on which dinner table you're you're sitting around, masks, vaccines, mandates, antivirals, all of which are now stockpiled throughout our nation, Many around the world are desperate for the first dose of a Fauci ouchie. While we lament and complain that our supply chains have been disrupted, forcing us to change our daily eating habits, children around the world went to bed hungry last night and will again tonight because the rich, that would be us, have forgotten about them. 
We live in a nation that spends $778 billion, billion with a B, dollars per year on national defense, spending more than the next nine countries combined, seven of which are considered to be allies. Yet we lament that there's not enough money to make our schools palaces of education. We lament that there's not enough to go around to ensure people around the world have access to clean water and safe food, or that we can't commit to caring more intentionally for our fragile planet. A planet, by the way, that we're pretty dependent upon. There is something rotten in the basket of summer fruit. Amos was crystal clear. You cannot live a compartmentalized life. Your religious life over here, your politics way over there, family over there, and your work life somewhere in the middle. Religion is, is concerned with your whole life. That's what it means to be the church. Your whole life. That's what it means when you are baptized into new life in Jesus Christ. Because life in Jesus Christ cannot be compartmentalized, cannot be siloed away from the rest of the world. What we do on Sunday afternoon, the minute we step foot out of this building through Saturday night, is an extension of the declaration you all made this morning. There is no separation as there is no separation for us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Decompartmentalizing our lives and seeing the places where we have benefited off the backs of others, it's not easy work. It's difficult work. It is holy work that will take a lifetime, even generations, to fully grasp and then correct. Friend and mentor, Retired United Methodist bishop and all-around church curmudgeon, Bishop Will Willimon likes to say, one way you can tell the difference between a true and living God and a dead and fake God, a false God, is that the false God will never tell you anything that will make you angry or uncomfortable. As we contemplate our hand, and our witness to all that is happening around the world, as well as in our community. A growing divide between the rich and the poor, a missing middle, violence among nations and neighbors, nationalism, unequal treatment within our criminal justice system, environmental destruction, an idolatrous addiction to weapons of war, an unwillingness to care for the vulnerable. There is still a word of hope. The psalmist writes, God is in that city. It will never crumble. God will help it when morning dawns. Nations roar, kingdoms crumble. God utters God's voice and the earth melts. The heavenly, the Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. The Lord has not abandoned us. God is committed to the work of reconciling the world to God and us to one another. This is the work that Christ began in his life, death, and in his resurrection. This is not easy work, but it is work that we will not do alone. Jesus told his followers, I myself will be with you 
until the end of the present age. It would make sense to throw out that bowl of summer fruit, that rotten, bad, was it bad banana? (laughs) But that's not how the Lord operates. God is with us. The Lord is setting things right. In church, we get to be a part of that work. We give thanks and praise to God for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God and the righting of the wrongs that we have had a hand in or have failed to see. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.